fun memories I have is like scanning boxes through the x-ray machine as they're coming in just to make sure there are no bombs. We've ha had a couple bomb scares and you have to call the bomb unit down so they can check to see like. Confused? Don't worry. We are in fact talking to literary agent Dan Kramer today. Much like the journey of a writer or illustrator, Dan's path had a lot of twists and turns. Welcome to You May Contribute a Verse, a set of conversations with creators we value. I'm Brenna Jennerette, children's lit author, mother, rock climber, and outdoor enthusiast, podcaster, and co-host of You May Contribute a Verse. My co-host, Josh Munkin, is a children's lit author, father, science communicator, and podcaster. Today, we sit down with Dan Kramer, an FBI forensic scientist, IT wizard, and my incredible agent. Dan tells us about his journey to opening his own literary agency, what he's looking for in a great book, and how to rehydrate a severed finger. You can follow Dan on Twitter at PageTurnerLit or find him online at PageTurnerLiteraryAgency.com. Here's Dan Kramer's first. Here's sweatshirt. Thank you. It's, um, what's the it's, ghost uh, out there? Our, my one illustrator, Nadia Ahmed, has like this whole thing with the ghost. We call them ghosties, and she like took her illustration and put it on a sweatshirt. Oh, awesome! Yeah. I love that. I love that you're doing that. They're just repping, repping an illustrator like that. That's rad. Just like a walking advertisement. Is this like influence that you can peddle with the people that you represent, where you just kind of go like, well, you know, <laughs> your stuff might go on submission, but right, uh, my, I need a my, sweatshirt. My wardrobe's so. looking a little light. <laughs> sweatshirt. No, no, I wouldn't do that. I mean, that's a that's a good idea, but. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think I could produce a sweatshirt for you, Dan. I don't know what I could do with words. I'd have to like put a put a whole manuscript on like a pair of pants or something. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. See what yeah. I can workshop. So I I know some of your background just from reading it, but I've never talked to you about it. So like I know, for instance, that you were a scientific um, friends or forensic scientist with the FBI before you went into children's lit. And that is like fascinating to me. Can you tell me like all about that and then how you got into children's lit? Sure. Um, so I went for my undergrad at West Virginia university. I got my undergrad degrees in forensic science and psychology. And the reason I chose, chose WVU was for the forensics program because it was number one on the East Coast. Um, and when my sister started going there, she started going three years before I went because she's older. That's how that works. <laughs> um, and, and when she started going, the first class in the forensic science program started then. So like as she was doing her tours, like I got the pamphlet and stuff like that. And I was reading about that. And of course I was reading books um, probably that were, that I mean, I can. The one book I distinctly remember is when I got it. My mom was like, "What's that about again?" Because it was called Night Sins. Like, oh. <laughs> here I am in like ninth grade, tenth grade, reading this book. But it was about like a crime that was happening and the investigator and the evidence and all that that was in it. I think oh, it was wow. by Tammy Hogue. Um, and I remember like reading it and being like, "Oh, it'd be so cool." to investigate crimes like that. And so I stopped grad school and went and worked for the FBI for about three and a half years. First in the latent fingerprint operational unit. And then I moved to evidence control, which is where the first unit to see the evidence coming into the lab. 
Uh, we determine the path that it's going to go through the lab because you do the least destructive um, applications to the evidence through the most destructive. Um, some of the like fun memories I have is like scanning boxes through the x-ray machine as they're coming in, just to make sure there are no bombs. We've ha had a couple bomb scares and you have to call the bomb unit down so they can check to see like if it's like a real bomb or a hoax bomb and like I'm hiding behind the bomb shelter wall waiting for that. You're like, why didn't the agent tell us they were sending us this? You know, getting all these confirmations. But one, another one that was good was like a full skeleton like went through a machine one time. So that, that was pretty awesome. I mean, I got to do lots of exciting stuff with that, like learning, like if you find like a severed hand, how to rehydrate it and get fingerprints off of it to see if you can identify it. While I, and I, I was in the DC area at that time when I worked for the FBI. Um, the lab was on the Quantico Marine Base. Um, I was it in the DC area. That's where I met my husband. Um, he was in grad school at George Washington University. You know, we met the old fashioned way right at a bar. <laughs> Nice. That's how, that's how we used to do it. Yeah. 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 I, I didn't have a smartphone or anything like that. I don't think like, I, I think all any type of dating app or anything like that was still like logging onto your computer to check it and everything. Yeah. Like that. So we met, um, in Oh nine. Yeah. June of Oh nine. So during pride month. So that was really, and we lived in DC until 2011. So after he graduated from grad school, he's a physician assistant. Um, he worked in the area for maybe almost a year. And we both decided we didn't really like living in the DC area. It's a lot of people in a very small area. So there's always congestion. There's always traffic. The cost of living was really high. And he suggested, hey, let's... Uh, move back to Chicago from where I'm, where I'm from in the suburbs. And it's like, okay. So, you know, we, we picked up and we moved, we moved back, um, to where he grew up. And I was like in between jobs for that, like almost about a year. So I resigned from the FBI looking for another job during that time. And so like during that, year of time I had like time to read books I made uh, my income by being extras on TV oh, shows what? and movies that were filming in That's Chicago awesome. area so yeah so if you ever watch Voss season two you'll see me as an extra I was a recurring extra in there for a lot of times no speaking lines or anything but I was seated next to one of the main characters and had to show her the phone of her husband having a, se a sex scandal and everything like I'm totally that. I'm totally going to so. watch it. I look for him. We'd be like, I know him. <laughs> That's my agent. So that, that was fun. That Yeah, it was like, it was almost like, a, what do you call it? The year, the gap, a gap year for me. Like I just got to explore different avenues that I, that I liked. I mean, except I had it in my late twenties oh, <laughs> instead of right I after high it. school. I love it. You got to explore. You got to. You got to. Got to explore those night sins on film, though, as the That's extra. Blannery and all of that. Yeah, I'm sorry. This is a really long story that I've been going. No, on. that's okay. I'm. I'm interested. Well, what's <laughs> so that? What's funny is that uh, people people will tune in to say, "Oh, they're going to have a conversation with an agent, and they're going to come away with all these nonfiction picture books." Right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. About forensic de detective science. <laughs> 
So then after that year, I got hired to be an internal affairs investigator with the Cook County Sheriff's Office. And I, I'm still doing that job because that's the one that brings in the money right now. Um, anybody wanting to start an agent, agenting career, uh, it does not bring in money immediately. Just so everyone knows that it takes a while. So we either have a lot of savings build up before you go out on it or be okay working a couple of jobs at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was around, I think, two, 2017. I had been working with Cook County Sheriff's Office for about three years by that point. And we had like a change in executive management and it was not a good change. It was mm-hmm. like a lot of micromanagement. Uh. Um, a lot of like looking at the clock, like if you went to the bathroom, someone looking at the clock and being like, well, why were you in the bathroom for three minutes? Oh my gosh, geez. <laughs> like, well, I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up sitting down having one of those conversations about like, what do I want to do with my life? Do I want to stay here? Do, is this really worth it? I'm not happy. Um, and every time I would have one of those conversations, it came back to books, to writing, and everything and that's when I started exploring the different career options and you know there's always the author but I was like I was like it, it's very hard to get into being an author and then I was like I don't think I have the experience to get in an, into any publishing house with anything um my master's degrees didn't really pan over like business management would make me more on the business side of stuff mm-hmm. and I had uh, management and organizational behavior and stuff like that. It's like none of the jobs that I was seeing, like those degrees weren't really helped with. Um, And I came across like literary agent. I started reading about that. It's like, I would love, like I'm always have developing ideas in my head for stories and stuff. I'd be like, I'd love to be able to collaborate with people on that and like bounce ideas back and forth and see that magic happen. I was like, well, I I can't just open up an agency because I I don't know anything about it. Like, right. So I looked up agencies in the area. Flannery Literary came up as one. And I did a cold email to Jennifer. I was like, this isn't a query. I'm looking to see if you have an internship or if you'd offer a mentorship. I'm not looking for any type of financial reimbursement. I just want to get experience in the field. This is something that I think I would like to pursue. I gave her like how I look like children literature has always been my favorite. Like, I mean, I'm still reading young adult mostly <laughs> Nice. You know, 37 now. Um, she was like, uh, her response was, I imagine uh, you had me at this isn't a query. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it might've been. <laughs> right. I, yeah. And I was expecting, I was like, and that I was like, I mean, she didn't have anything advertised on her website or anything. She's very minimalistic with her website um, and private about her clients and everything like that. And I I was expecting, oh, like, this is so unprofessional of you to just ask for this and all that. I was like, I catastrophize sometimes. So I was like (laughs) thinking I was going to get blacklisted for doing this and everything. I got the nicest email back from her being like, oh my gosh. I could absolutely use some help right now. I have a ton of work. Oh, let me let's meet sometime. Let's discuss. Let's see what I can do for you. What your your goals are and everything. And that's where it went from there. I got to start interning with her. I think around June of 2017. Um, 
I did a lot of intern work that she called Scott puppy work. Um, so it was like, uh, I'd read manuscripts and uh, fill out the SCWBI gold sheet form for them, like listing the things that were good, things that need improvement, what's the markability of this book, how is the voice, the tone, the plot, all, all of that good stuff. Um, I did get to, one of my favorite projects was going through all the interviews that Gary Paulson gave and creating like a frequently asked questions sheet. It was 20 plus pages long. Like, I, I bet it was. Oh my gosh. I mean, Gary Paulson's a legend. That's awesome. Yeah. How cool is that to like listen to yeah. all of that? Wow. And like going through, typing up the questions, writing the answers, getting to learn so much more about him than I, I ever knew. And like his lived experience, no wonder his books resonate with so many people. Um, totally. Wow. And I mean, just a, a short shout out. I mean, I know that he passed just recently, like a day or two ago. And what a bummer. I'm, I mean, I'm so sorry because... I feel like your relationship with him and his books is probably way more intense, you know, than any, any of ours. I mean, I read, I read his books, of course, like I, you know, I felt, I felt that loss, but not in the way that you probably do. So man, what a bummer. I think it's hitting Jennifer pretty hard. She's, but she's, you know, she's a trooper. She, she has such a strong sense of self of her, like in her personal life and in this, crazy publishing literature world that you need to have. Um, so that's, it's really amazing to have, to have been having, to have her as a mentor. I was just going to interject real quick. I love her website. It is super minimalistic. And when you look on there, Josh, I don't know if you've been there, but it says, all it says in black and white is read books, fight evil. I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to be a part of this literary agency. It's awesome. The first time I saw it, I was like, what? Can I read it again? I took a screenshot and I don't know who I sent it to, but I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. It's so good. So I in, did intern work for her for about two years. Anything she asked, I, I would do. And around maybe March of 2019, She's like, you know what, you're, you're doing a, a good job. You're proving yourself. You're reading these manuscripts. You're seeing things. You're looking at queries. You're pulling out, like, what are, what are the good aspects? What are the bad aspects? You know, I've been putting you through the ringer. I'm going to promote you to an associate agent. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And she's like, this way you can start building your list off, start getting your clients ready. Because um, when we had that first meeting, she's like, what is your end goal? And my end goal was to open my own agency. And she's like, she's like, all right, we have a path. We know the direction. Let's get there. Now, that goal wasn't going to happen in my head until 2023. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, you're way ahead of schedule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, this over the summer, I sold uh, a couple books. And the first one I sold, Jennifer's like, that doesn't need to go under Flannery. That should be going under your agency. Oh, wow. How, that's so, I mean, she sounds awesome. Like how generous to be like, nope, that's your sale. Like you should take that. So then I was scrambling to open up my own agency. To, you know, <laughs> the, the good thing is she did advise me. She's like, get your name, your, your, your agency's name, get your LLC, get that all settled now. That way 
when it comes time, you already have it and everything. And I had done that in 2019. Like after she said that, I, I did all that. Um, I secured like social media handles, although the only one I'm using now is Twitter, um, just because it's easier to focus on one than, than multiple. And I had a lot of other things set in place. And so like the scrambling was like opening up a business bank account and doing all this stuff so I could have the finances and everything. Um, so that, yeah, that's how my own agency came. But it was, I didn't sell that first book until around July of this year. So 2021. And I had been working on selling books and collecting clients from March of 2019. So that's why I was saying like building that client list, getting books edited, getting your fill for the ground, finding the right editors and publishers to submit to the weight of hearing back responses. It, it, it all takes time. And it sounds like there was nothing but goodwill on her part when it comes to the goals that you had, the clients that you were rec recruiting, the list that you were building for yourself. You operated within the Flannery machinery w with the understanding that you were gonna you were gonna break away and do your own thing in pretty short order. Yeah, order. exactly. Like that generosity and the privilege of working with her and being able to use her agency's name when I was submitting. I, I don't think I would yeah, be where I am. Wow, that's that. huge. That's incredible. And also, congratulations on opening your own agency. I mean, that's huge. And you did it like two years earlier than you thought you would. <laughs> I mean. That's so rad, like how exciting. Yeah. So, so now you have the full-time job, right? And agenting. And I know you said at one point you have you have a third job, right? And and you write on the side. So how do you how do you have any time? Like when do you sleep? Is my question. <laughs> yeah. So the third job I have is about five hours a week. I do um maintenance on my church's website and I do all their social media posting and stuff like that. So that's like something where if I sit down for like a, on the weekend, I can create all the social, social media posts that I want. Um, I know an hour of that time is going to be at the church service on Sunday. Uh, okay. Yeah. Facebook live stream of it. Um, and all that stuff. So it, that, the, that third job doesn't take up too much time. Sometimes it does. I mean, to get things done. I'm sure there are lots of editors out there who have gotten emails from me like before 7 a.m. and stuff like that. <laughs> or they've gotten them really late at night or anything. It's just, I have to work around what my schedule is having the two jobs. Um, and I, I'm just like, I hope you have your notifications turned off or your, your phone set to silent. No, no, not a lot of other people are up at like 4 a.m. getting stuff done and everything. So, and I'm very strict about like bedtime. Like it's, always somewhere between like 8.45 and 9.30. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm going up to bed. Dude, same. Yeah, I got to get my sleep. I go to sleep super early because my kid still wakes up super early and yeah, got it. And then wake up, go straight into writing and then go into like kid time. So same. Yeah, I totally get that. And I will say like my own personal writing has kind of fallen to the wayside. It happens whenever it's there. But it's, I mean, it's always happening in my head. Like I'm always thinking of things and everything like I have a second draft of a YA novel that I'd like to get back to, but it's like, yeah, I'm pri prioritizing my goals and the agency and my clients are coming mm. first in my head. That's how I want it. There'll be time for the other stuff later because yeah. yeah. I want to make agent agenting my only 
full-time job that I have. Is it what you thought it would be having your own agency? I mean, there are so many intricacies with owning your own business, no matter what the business is that take you away from that pure thing that drove you to it in the first place. Yeah, there, it is a lot different, especially since the majority of the time that I have been an agent has been during a pandemic. I've missed out on in-person conferences where I can talk and meet people and put names to faces and all that good stuff. I have done some virtual conferences and everything, but there's no real socialization that can occur from, from that on like a, on a real, on a real good level. Like, I mean, and near the end of the pandemic, I think everyone's tired of like the zoom meetings Mm -hmm. and and all that. They're ready to go back in. So I do, I do miss, I I got to do like, I think one in-person conference with Jennifer the one time um, we both went um, under Flannery. Uh, it was the Writers Workshop of Chicago or Chicago Writers Workshop. I can't remember the exact title, mm-hmm. but I did get to do that. And that was really great getting to, to meet other agents in the area and ones who came from out of state and everything like that. So I am looking forward to whenever conferences start back up, starting back up and I can go and meet writer, meet authors in person, meet other agents in person, meet editors in person, get to hear people speak. And the other thing that I think has been the hardest adjustment to is, is like the waiting. Cause I've always come from like, when you send an email, you're going to get a response that day or even at the latest, the next day, not, not in the publishing world. I, I just have to like focus on like, this is how this machine operates. You're just going to wait. You sent your email check back in in a month if you haven't heard anything. <laughs> have have you as an independent agent had open query periods where you, not get, you get the like the giant flood so not yet. Not yet. I've experienced that at plant uh, with Jennifer um she's basically open to queries all year round. I know there was a couple of times when I was with her I was like I need a like a month break off from the <laughs> queries and she's like yeah, I'll take over and she Went and she took over all of them and everything like that. I haven't opened up to queries with page turners yet. Um, I'm hoping that in the new year I will open up to them, but my focus right now are the clients that I do have. A lot of the clients that I got on right at the end, Brenna being one of them, were through like Twitter contests that I did. Um, I got to see an early version of her manuscript. We got to, I get, got to give her a critique. I got to talk with her and everything. And it was just this great back and forth. I, like I could spit an idea at her and she'd spit one back <laughs> and we were just going off and on and like rolling with it and decide to do a rewrite after this, send me the manuscript back. And she did. And it was hitting all the right notes that I, I wanted to see. And I was like, yeah, this is something that I could, that I could picture. That's really what sells me on a, on a query. Um, they don't necessarily have to be like the perfect submission, but if I can start like developing ideas of how I want, how I'm seeing it going, or I can see the story unfolding, then that's like, okay, that's something I want to see more of. That's what I want to read and everything like that. And then having an interaction with someone too is great. Like, am I going to be able to work with this person down the road? And yeah, are they open to hearing critiques? Are they open to hearing ideas? And if I say an idea to them, can they run with that idea or can they be like, oh no, that gives me an even better idea. What about this? It's just this great collaborative thing that happens. And I think it's Jennifer who said it, like the things that happen between the pages of a book are magic. 
and like you get to see like the spell being produced whenever you're working back and forth like getting that story developed and creating it yeah it was uh, on that note too like it was I was so pleased to have won the contest to begin with and then when I got to like have the zoom follow-up I was like oh this is great because like you know I I feel like I'm really expressive, but I cannot use like enough exclamations in my like emails or my texts, you know, like I can't like convey the tone. So I'm like, oh, but I'm way better in person. This is great. I get to actually talk to him over Zoom. And then, yeah, like talking with you over Zoom was was awesome because like you had so many great ideas for my manuscript. I was like, oh, perfect. And Josh and I are critique partners and he knows this about like how how often and how much I revise something because I get it in my brain and somebody says something and I'm just like ping-ponging around and I'm like I gotta write four more versions of this thing like right now so like (laughs) talking to you and talking it out was like so helpful and then I took all of your advice rolled it all up and like like wrote like I don't know however many versions of that thing and then two weeks later, I was like, okay, I think this is the best one. And I, I sent it back and I was like, oh my gosh, I hope, I hope this is the right one. Cause I picked like, I don't know. I just had, I had so many ideas, but anyways, yeah, the feeling was totally mutual. Dan, I've sa- I've saved you from a lot of exclamation points. <laughs> <laughs> Over the month. Thank you. I can tell you, I can tell you as a, as a writer. Yeah. I mean, uh, the manuscript that you have that is on submission for Brenna is the first one that she led with in our critique group and the fact that she she led with that and said like i've got three different endings of this i've got three different characterizations essentially i've written this story three different times let me know what you think it was really a good indication of, of what type of worker she is when it comes to writing yeah um which is great yeah yeah for better or for worse i feel like yeah i, c- I can sometimes shoot myself in the foot with that but yeah it's good to have a lot of ideas <laughs> you so dan you mentioned early on the evaluation criteria that you use the SCBWI gold gold mm-hmm. sheet, I think was the term you used. Is that the same sort of criteria that you still use to evaluate submitters queries? Yeah. I mean, I, I probably do that in my head. I don't spend the time like jotting it all down. Um, but yeah, I like, I'll look at that. Like what are the things like, I'm like, as I'm reading the queries, reading the sample pages, I will be, what are the things that I do like, what are the things that I don't like as I'm reading it? And if the things that I don't like are like mounting up, mounting up, mounting up, I know this isn't right for me. If it's even, sometimes I'll like save it for later and come back to it because I sometimes you need to, to think on mm-hmm. things. Like even when you're writing and you're editing, sometimes it's good like, hey, I need to step away and forget what I wrote or read and then come back to it with a fresh, fresh eyes. And then if it's like all these positive aspects that I really like, really like, really like, I'm like, okay, if I can't stop thinking about it, if I'm going on a run and I'm thinking about like an issue with like, maybe there's like a, a, a plot point that I didn't really like, and I could see, I'm like, well, how could we make this better or something? And I can't stop thinking about it. I'm like, oh, this is a book that I want to work on. There's an openness to, yeah. Uh, when you feel yourself pulling back to the manuscript. Yeah, that's great. What is the vision that you yourself have for how the agency unfolds over time? I mean, you've got certain criteria that you must be looking for in authors that represent, you know, Team Dan, Team Page Turner. So a lot of the things that I look for are, are you able to follow the submission guidelines? There are a lot of agents out there and everything, and we have different submission guidelines and they're for different reasons. But if someone can take the time to follow those directions, that's already like, a huge advantage on your part. An agent says, no attachments, please, please embed the sample pages into the email. They really do mean that. That can 
be an automatic rejection for some agents. Um, just for the, the, the mere fact that we get so many things now because of the internet, like it allows everyone to be like, I can be a writer here, send this off. And if they get mad that you've rejected their th- that rejected their manuscript, they can create a new email, attach something, and it has a virus on it, and then uh, potentially end up hurting you. So that's why a lot of people say no attachments. Oh, I didn't even think about that, huh? So that's that's usually the first thing. Like, and I have no problems. Like, if someone is neurodiverse and they don't understand um, the directions, or they need to hear hear or see it or process it in a different way it's perfectly fine to send an agent that question like hey i'm not sure i quite understand your submission guidelines Mm -hmm. can we have a can we have a talk or a chat or can you explain it in a different way of what what you're looking for don't ever be afraid to ask questions Um, most of the people out there they're very kind good-hearted people and they should be able to answer you back with kindness and everything and those that don't that should be a red flag on your end that you wouldn't want to work with them anyways. Other things that I'm looking for, like I want to put good books out there that have different types of representation in them, books that I haven't seen. We can't say much about Brenna's books, but it's something that I haven't come across before. And I was really excited about it. I'm sure there are other books like that, but as in, as the submissions I've gotten, I haven't seen that. And that's what drew me first into it was like, okay, this is different. The story was also, was also good too. So <laughs> thank you. There's that. <laughs> and then there's this very vague thing that all agents, and if you get an agent and then your book goes on submission, that editors are looking for and it's voice. Mm. There's no like subjective, tangible definition of voice. It's just what that person connects to with. So if I'm connecting with the voice, if I'm engaged in the voice, what I'm looking for. Um, I also like books where if they have a trope in them, it's a trope that got turned on that's head. Oh, yeah. There's always like the chosen one trope. But what if the was the chosen one was like the villain, like the chosen one villain in a story told from that perspective? I would that's like, hey, I want to see that. Um, Josh, write that book. I'll comp to Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I'll comp to Star Wars when I write yeah, that book. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. And then I have obviously there are some red flags that I have. Some of them are like the query letter talks about what inspired the person to write the story, but they never actually tell me what the story is. When they say, oh, there are no, there are no comps for the book that I wrote. Oh boy. It's completely new. (laughs) It's just new to you as the author. Yeah, right. Don't like books where a character is waking up right at the beginning. Like they're waking up and any type of waking up, like waking up from a, a coma, waking up from an accident, I mean, these are just my personal tastes. These aren't all agents' tastes, obviously. Not so much with picture books, but with like middle grade or chapter books or YA. I don't like books that start with dialogue. Middle of a conversation. I don't know who's who yet. I don't know who this who the main character is supposed to be. I don't books that don't really focus on the main character on the mm-hmm. first couple of pages. The usage of the word it. Like if you have too many it's in there it's a, a big red flag because there's always there should always be a stronger or better word for it. Think of a different way to repurpose that sentence and make it make it better. Yeah, and those all of these things sort of sort of underline that note about the, the combination between vibe with the author and the voice that they're using 
I mean, the, these are all pretty specific things that you're looking for, but the, but they're but they they underline that that important point is like if you have something as an agent that's going to turn you off about the work that you're reading, then you're not going to be the best champion for it at all. Uh, it's nothing against the work right. because we may have lots of it fan agents out there. Uh, it's just maybe not for you. <laughs> the other thing, I, I guess, this is going back to the question about running your own agency. What what are things some things you expected or didn't expect? You have to be okay with yourself knowing that you are going to say no to a mm. lot more than you say yes to. And you're going to say no to some things that, that you really like, but you can't take on because of time constraints and you, you don't want to do a disservice to that author. Sometimes some of those where I have it where I was like, oh, I really like this, but I can't take on a client right now because I have my own clients and they all decided to write something and send it all to me right now. So I have... A bunch of editing for them to do because they come first. I will sometimes store those in a separate folder, like come back to, like I might have to pass now to let them know, but maybe I'll store that in a, a folder somewhere and be like, recontact that. And that's that's an interesting concept, the pass versus rejection thing that we all get so hung up on that it's not highlighted enough. All the consideration that goes into things that get you know rejected, quote unquote where it's, it's a lot more than just a, just a yeah. hard no in a lot of cases. Well, so, so Dan, on that note, so I know that we, we can't say that much about it. It's probably going to be a very vague conversation, but I know you have some exciting deals coming up. Like you have some news. Is there, do you want to tell us as much as you can about that exciting news? Yeah, sure. So the summer and fall have been, have been great. I can't complain at all, especially since I was in a drought before that complete drought before that. My first contract signed in July for a picture oh, awesome. book. Um, I'm very excited with that. That's the other thing I didn't realize. Like I thought once the contract signed, the deal announcement's going to be made and everything like that. It's going to happen after the contract signed. Sometimes the announcement's not oh my gosh. for like nine Oh my gosh. It's afterwards. so much waiting. <laughs> so it's just like you, yeah, you have to learn to sit on secrets <laughs> right. all this time. Then I had picture book. Um, it was with one publisher for a very long time. Another publisher had a quite a bit less time and they both sent an offer for the book. Once you get an offer for the book, you have special courtesy let other editors that have the book say, Hey, I've received oh, okay, an yeah. offer. If you'd like if you'd like to make an offer, can you please let me know by this date? Usually ranges about a week. And within that week, another editor was like, Yeah, I like this book too. We'd like to make an offer. And that was the first time I it wasn't was not anywhere close to being an auction or anything. It was just like I let them know we're gonna take yeah. the best offer. And that's how, how that's it's so, yeah, right. That's so exciting, though. That's cool. Third picture book that came out um, came with a client who wasn't the book that I uh, signed them for, but they're like, "Hey, I had submitted this when I was unaged. I just got contacted from them. Is this something you want to work on?" And they sent me a script, and I was like, "Yeah." And I was like, "They're like they asked for a revise and rewrite. Can we work on that together?" And we did that. We did the revise, rewrite. We sent it off. Offer on that one. And I have six other books that are like, there's a stage where the editor is like, hey, I'm really interested in this book. I'm going to take it to the team. And whether the team's like an acquisition team, an editor team meeting, marketing, like there's so many right. steps from that point. So I have like six in the, the gray area is what I would call it, where it, an offer could be coming, an offer mm. might not be coming. Because so many people have to sign off on it, which is something else you learn is that 
it's even if an editor loves your book, if the acquisition team doesn't love it, it doesn't get an offer. If marketing is like, we can't market this book, it doesn't right. get an offer. There's, There's so many domino yeses. Yeah, so many meetings. Sure. That's really exciting though. I mean, it's happening. The other thing I found with this job is that from the beginning, I was like, oh, I don't think I'd like working on picture books and all that. And it turns out that that's one of my favorite. Oh, books. awesome. That's lucky for me specifically. <laughs> thank, thank goodness. <laughs> you didn't have to level up all your manuscripts suddenly. Yeah, right? Like, oh boy. I mean, I guess I could expand some <laughs> to middle grade YA. Yeah, I thought I was like, I thought I was like, oh, I'm just probably gonna get YA because that's what I love to read and everything. And I still love it. And I love working on those books and everything, but picture books like really surprised me of probably one of the hardest books to write because you have, you have to have that full complete story with such minimal words and not only words, but you have to have it where an illustrator can also tell the story, but not the same story as a text, another layer to the story. Right. It's like this mean trick. Like, here you go. Good luck. You have a hundred words. You have to tell two stories at the same time and you have to appeal to the kids and adults. The thing that really made picture books easier in I think the last year or so is I think Frances Gilbert from Doubleday tweeted. She's like, I don't know why it's become a faux pas for authors to put in illustri illustrator notes. Because she's like, I want to know what the author's thinking, even if we don't use them. I want to see what they're thinking and how they're seeing the story because then I get a more complete picture. And once that happened, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is great because like, right. you can add stuff. Like sometimes humor is just not funny when you have to type it all out. But if you have an illustrator note, like they slipped on a banana in this, and they're slipping on a banana as they're saying this, you have context to what was making it so funny. Totally. And to expect someone to read between the lines and get what you're saying is, I mean, that's sort of impossible too, because then you have to tweak your text in like this weird, awkward way to be, to like include that slipping banana. If you're not going to put it in an, in an illustrator note, it's like, well, okay. So now it just sounds really weird. Like I said, blah, blah, blah. As I was slipping on a banana, it's like, well, that's not really that hilarious anymore. Like you're saying. So then for you, uh, add, add some illustrator notes and then also make it so that the banana peel slips on right. the <laughs> so You can invert the trope. Right? Like All right, I'll get to work on that immediately. Right, immediately. <laughs> well, do you want to tell, I mean, I know you're not open to submissions, but you can tell everybody where to find you and they can follow along for when you are open to submissions. Yeah, um, great place to follow me is on Twitter. My handle's at pageturnerlit. And then another great resource would be my website, pageturnerliteraryagency.com. Um, those are both great. We appreciate your time, Dan, getting to know the, the length and breadth of your, your yeah, time thank and, you. and all the distance that you've come as you've taken this up. Thank you. So congratulations on the, on the early success this, this, this season. And there you have it, Dan Kramer, literary agent extraordinaire. Thanks for joining us. Find Dan on Twitter at pageturnerlit and try to guess the joke of the week every Monday or online at pageturnerliteraryagency.com. Episode 28 of You May Contribute a Verse is a homespun production produced, edited, recorded, conceptualized, and marketed by Josh Munkin and me, Brenna Jennerette. Hit us up at verse.show and find the show and Josh on Twitter as at verseshow. That's V-E-R-S-E-S-H-O-W. Find me on Twitter as at Brenna Jennerette. That's J-E-A-N-N-E-R-E-T. The artwork for You May Contribute a Verse is an amazing picture commissioned for the podcast by a very talented artist, Charlie Munkin, age eight. 
The show's music is provided graciously by Robbie Zarr via tracks from his album, A Tragic But Happy Horse. Engage with his music and musings at partist.com. That's P-A-R-T-I-S-T dot com. However you're listening to this, if you have a minute, let us know what you think on a co- in a comment or a rating. It means a lot. And remember the answer, that you are here, that life exists, an identity, that the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse.